Hello, and thank you for joining us for Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights, Season 2, Episode 9, The Arbor Fairies, or Cedar's Tale. If this is your first time listening to Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights, you might want to go back and start at Season 1, Episode 1, The Egg, to get the full story. My name is Marin Langdon Spillane, and today we are thrilled to welcome back special guest artist Chase Allen. Chase was previously our guest artist for Season 1, Episode 9, The Raft. You should definitely make sure to check the show notes for links to Chase's final illustration, his coloring page, and other links to his artwork. One thing that I love about stories that you listen to is that everyone imagines the story a little bit differently. I know how it looks in my head, but I love to see how other people imagine things. So I encourage all of you listeners to grab your favorite supplies and draw, sculpt, paint, or create anything that you are inspired to while listening. Then you can share your creation with us during one of our live shows, post on our Facebook page, or email it to us at PetraTheDragon at gmail.com. And now, let us begin Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights, Season 2, Episode 9, The Arbor Fairies, or Cedar's Tale. Previously on Fad Pack, Beatrice, a dragon, her five draglings, and Tom and Talora, two humans from the city of Durga, set off on a quest to find Beatrice's stolen egg. They discover that the mighty dragon Shakatala, Beatrice's mate and the father that her draglings have never met, is terrorizing the Rainbow Ponies, who have agreed to help Beatrice in her quest. Shakatala has traded his fire to the Arbor Fairies in exchange for armor that increases his power, and after Beatrice confronts Shakatala and chases him from the land of the ponies, he vows to begin hunting down humans instead. Beatrice's oldest children, Asriel and Petra, along with Talora and the Crystal Fairies, Amethyst and Citrine, set off to find the Arbor Fairies in hopes that they can recapture Shakatala's fire and return him to himself before his attacks on the humans go too far. Sunlight tumbled down through the trees, bathing the forest of Mordenson in a warm, yellowy wash and falling playfully on Florian's soft, golden hair. He lifted his chin and closed his eyes as the sun danced over his face, and then he began to sing. His voice was soft but strong, velvety and rich, and Hemlock thought, as they always did, that it was the purest and most beautiful sound that they had ever heard. Hemlock closed their eyes, too, letting Florian's voice wash over them. It seemed to Hemlock as they listened that the child's song mingled with the sounds of the forest around them, the soft rustle of the trees, the delicate trills of birds, the gentle whispers of wind. Hemlock felt peace enter their soul. It was always this way when Florian sang. Hemlock fluttered to perch on Florian's shoulder. One of his soft golden curls brushed against Hemlock's arm, and Hemlock felt perfectly happy. Florian's voice filled them with a safe, warm feeling, and though they couldn't explain it to themselves or to any of the other fairies, the child's friendship, his simple, kind curiosity about growing things, his childlike wonder and optimism, and above all, his song, made Hemlock the happiest they had ever been. The snow is falling, softly, softly. The snow is falling, the ground is white. The leaves are gone now, the branches bending. 
The snow is falling through the night. The song was oddly haunting and out of place in the warm sunshine of the springtime forest, but Hemlock applauded. Beautiful Florian, did you make that up yourself? Yes. Winter is always with us in a way. I like to remember that, so that I can appreciate spring all the more. Hemlock laughed. Sensible and smart. You had better be getting home now. Your mother will be wondering about you. Yes, you're right. Though I don't know if my returning home will stop her wondering. She's always wondering about me. I'll see you tomorrow, Hemlock. Goodbye. Goodbye, Florian. I love you, called Florian over his shoulder as he wound his way through the trees. As Hemlock watched Florian depart, they thought about this strange word, love, that the humans used. It described a bond of some kind, something greater than affection, sometimes elusive or fleeting, but sometimes something deeper, more resonant, something permanent. I love you, too, said Hemlock to no one at all, and the trees of the forest of Mordenson rustled gently in reply. Welcome to Laura, welcome dragons and small pony Bob, and welcome crystal fairies, our brethren Citrine and Amethyst. Welcome, welcome all to the realm of the Arbor Fairies. Hemlock, longest branch of the Arbor Fairies, fluttered down from the branch where they perched and stood on the ground in front of Talora, Azrael, Petra, Bob, Amethyst, and Citrine. So... Tell me, Hemlock began, looking up at them. Despite their tiny stature and the fact that they were addressing dragons from the ground, they somehow appeared much larger than they actually were. What brings you here to the realm of the Arbor Fairies? Delora found herself somewhat speechless as she took in the strangeness of the Arbor Fairies. They were so different from the Crystal Fairies. Amethyst, Citrine, and Carnelian, though radiating power and even ferocity at times, had a warm and positive force about them. They were fearsome, yes, but Delora never feared them. The Arbor Fairies were the same size and shape as the Crystal Fairies, yet they couldn't be more different. Rather than the shimmering, bright hues of Amethyst and Citrine, the Arbor Fairies were dark, almost dull, their skin and clothing the colors of the forest around them, dark olive greens, rich reddish browns, and earthy blacks. They were adorned in growing things, expertly wound and worn to suit their small, strong bodies. Their hair was short and spiky, and their eyes were so dark that they were almost black. Talora couldn't read the expressions in them at all. She could feel something coming off of them, though. Something she didn't like. Suspicion and hostility. Hemlock especially, Talora thought as she looked at them, seemed full of a dark emotion that frightened her. Their eyes were large and haunted, and the smile on their face somewhat twisted. Fairies, she knew, could live for hundreds of years but never look old. The crystal fairies were ageless and glowing. Hemlock, however, looked ancient and, Laura thought, exhausted. Azrael stepped forward. Greetings, Hemlock, he started slowly. We are... well, you seem to know our names already, so I guess introductions aren't necessary. Yeah, how do you know our names? Petra interrupted. <laughs> Hemlock laughed, though they did not sound amused. The trees, Petra the dragon. The trees. The trees. The trees. 
the trees. It is always the trees. They tell us everything, don't you, sweet things? Hemlock raised their arms and the trees seemed to rustle a response. Well, thank you for um, welcoming us to Mordenson, Azrael pressed on. We don't want to take too much of your time, so I'll get right to the point. We've come here with a request. Hemlock cocked their head to one side and flew upward so that they were level with Talora's face. Staring into their eyes closely like this, Talora felt her unease increase. "'I love requests,' they said, casting their eyes over Amethyst and Citrine. "'And I would be remiss to ignore any that come from dragons accompanied by fairies. "'And human, of course.' Here they nodded to Talora. "'Dragons, fairies, and humans. "'Ah, that is an unusual combination indeed. "'And it is rare that a crystal fairy deigns to visit Mordenson.' Tell me, how is the diamond wing of late? Amethyst stared evenly at Hemlock. The diamond wing is amazing, of course. They are always amazing. They are the diamond wing, so being amazing is pretty much like always happening for them. And they send their best kisses and hugs, all that kind of thing, added Citrine coolly. Excellent, said Hemlock. Well, please continue, dragon. I would love to hear your... Request. Azriel looked nervously at Petra, who nodded slightly at him. He took a deep breath. We were wondering if we could... If you could... We would like Shakatala's fire back. There was a sudden silence from the surrounding arbor fairies, and all eyes moved to Hemlock, who began to laugh. Talora felt foolish. She had the urge to jump in and explain more fully, to tell their whole story, but she was so unnerved by this dark forest and these black-eyed fairies that she couldn't open her mouth. "'I wondered if that was what you came for,' Hemlock said, their laughter increasing. "'How wonderful this is! How perfectly wonderful! And why, do tell, do you want such a thing?' "'He's our father,' Asriel started, and you must know, dragons without their fire are not really themselves. Shakatala is becoming dangerous. Well, I mean, more dangerous than he was before. Our mother says this isn't who he is, that he wasn't always like this. I mean, we have nothing to compare it to, of course. Listen, Petra interrupted smoothly. He's gone totally crazy. He was attacking ponies, which we dragons do not do, and now he's attacking humans. If this continues, he's going to start a war. Dragons won't be safe anymore. And beyond that, it's... It's not fair. It's like you've taken his soul. He needs it back. So we've come for it. Taken, responded Hemlock. You make it sound so ugly. I cannot take a dragon's fire. How awful. No, it must be given willingly. There was a trade. Why do you want his fire anyway? Asked Petra. What are you going to do with it? Oh, nothing really. Hemlock looked amused. I suppose you could say I'm a bit of a collector. Hemlock glanced at Talora. Your hand, please, they said. Talora was a bit confused, but extended her hand to them anyway. Ah, thank you, they said, perching neatly on one of her fingers. It does get exhausting, all this hovering in front of faces, and I see your shoulders are already occupied. You don't mind, do you? Hemlock folded their earth-colored wings tightly against their body. And speaking of trades, 
You must have something very valuable indeed to offer me if you hope to win back such a prize as your father's very powerful fire or soul, as you have correctly defined it. I'm itching with curiosity. Amethyst and Citrine had warned them that Hemlock would not simply hand over the fire. No one would, but that Hemlock especially was known for their love of trading, of bargaining, of granting wishes in exchange for precious items. We don't have anything valuable to trade, said Azrael slowly. Hemlock's dark eyes seemed suddenly to glow from within. Talora extended the hand they were perched on farther away from her face, noting that Hemlock's body seemed heavier. Hotter, almost, than those of the crystal fairies on her shoulders. Not true. Not true at all, replied Hemlock eagerly. You have your own fire, don't you? Both of you? Two medium dragons for the price of one big one. Sounds perfectly fair to me. Small sacrifice to prevent a war, don't you think? What? No, that's out of the question, Petra exclaimed. Hmm. Too bad. Well, there is another way, Hemlock said, looking into Petra's eyes fiercely. If you do something for me, a task, Dragonfire, you must intimately know, of course, is not easily won, and therefore very valuable. My price will be high. Petra nodded. Talora could almost hear Amethyst and Citrine rolling their eyes. Here is what I will ask, young dragons. If you and your companions can return to me what I have lost, I will return to you, Shakatala's fire. What you have lost? repeated Petra. What did you lose? I will give you a hint, a riddle. Are you listening? Hemlock closed their eyes. Return to me the flower that sings, the flower that ended in fire. Return to me the light of the wood and the voice that would never tire. Hey, parents. Yeah, you. Are you looking for a podcast your kids will really love? Well, we made one just for you. And for us. As genuine, all-natural kids ourselves, we know what makes a fun and interesting podcast. So we decided to make it ourselves. Every show is packed with interviews, stories, and on-the-ground reporting. We have interviewed everyone from scientists to Grammy Award-winning musicians to NFL quarterbacks. Listen to Wild Interest wherever you get your podcasts. So, began Azrael, you lost a flower that sings, and if we can find it, you'll give us Shakatala's fire? Precisely, answered Hemlock. Well, that's not much to go on, said Petra. Are you going to tell us any more about this flower? Hemlock lifted off from Talora's hand and flew above them. Certainly not, Petra. It's all part of the bargain, you see. You must figure it out for yourselves. What I have lost... What I have lost shouldn't be too hard of a pickle for your unusual group to solve. And there's one more thing. If you fail to return to me what I have lost in one year's time, the trade shall still take place. I will return your father's fire to you. But you, Azrael, and you, Petra, must give me your fire in exchange. Understood. 
Delora, Azrael, and Petra froze. Hemlock smiled. Creatures come to me from all over Denia to ask for help because they know that I am fair and can usually provide just what it is that they need. But I do not work for free, nor is my cost cheap. If you want something powerful, you must be able to bargain powerfully as well. Power does not come without sacrifice, Azrael muttered. Hemlock's eyes darted over to Azrael and stayed there for a moment. Naturally, this is an important decision, remarked Hemlock, and one that you must take your time with. Therefore, we invite you all to spend the night with us here in the forest. Cedar, come. One of the arbor fairies left the group and flew to Hemlock's side. Talora thought this fairy looked almost withered, almost haunted. This is Cedar, my right-hand branch. The twig, I like to call them. Of course, I don't think they like that very much, do you, Cedar? Cedar remained quiet, their eyes fixed on the visitors. No, you don't. Anyway, Cedar, please show our guests to a cozy spot where they may spend the night and deliberate amongst themselves. In private, of course. Cedar nodded. Come with me, they said turning and flying deeper into the forest. Nervously, Talora and her friends followed. After getting settled for the evening and eating what little they had brought with them, Talora, the dragons, Bob, and the fairies drew together to decide what they should do. Hemlock had promised them privacy, but as Amethyst had said, That's a joke. Fairies are everywhere, always. Talora glanced around them, but all she saw was darkness and the looming shadows of the trees. Azrael and Petra couldn't hear them speaking in their heads anymore, but they were uneasy all the same, jumping at every creak or rustle. Bob finally broke the gloomy silence. Well, this is uh, quite a quandary, as they say, isn't it, friends? Dare I ask what is all moving through those magnificent minds of yours? I know I am but a humble pony, so I certainly don't um have any advice, per se, but I wanted you to know that I will stand by you all whatsoever you decide. Thank you, Bob, said Asriel. Wait a minute, said Talora. Bob, how can I understand you? I feel like I've been talking to you for days now. When did this happen? Before, all I could hear were your squeaks. I mean, nays. And, and the dragons had to interpret. Oh, you're welcome, responded Citrine. All this who-can-talk-to-who business was really just too much, you know? I thought all of us should be able to communicate with each other. Communication is important when you're questing, added Amethyst. Oh, well, thank you, exclaimed Talora. Does that mean I can talk to all creatures now, like a dragon does? Hmm, I don't know, said Citrine. I wasn't trying that hard. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? Interjected Petra. A flower that sings? We can't promise our fire over something we know so little about. Since they love to bargain so much, maybe we can strike a different deal. Oh, Hemlock does love to bargain, that's for sure, said Amethyst. But they bargain with you, not the other way around. I don't think you'll get them to budge. Budge. Get it? Budge. Like buds on trees and we're in the forest. That needs work, Amethyst, Citrine murmured. And this is a serious moment. Whose side are you on, Citrine? I am on the side of good comedy, which is all about timing and reading the room, and- I mean, interrupted Asriel, maybe we could find it. A flower that sings, and we have a whole year. If we can't find it, we lose our fire, Asriel. Yeah, but we'd still get Dad's fire. And if that helps save lives or prevent a war, then maybe, I don't know. 
There was a rustling sound in the trees nearby, and out of the darkness a soft voice spoke. "'Excuse me. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I may be of some assistance to you.' Everyone whipped around to see Cedar, Hemlock second in command, emerging from the trees, glowing gently and looking nervously around them. "'What are you doing here?' snapped Citrine. "'I thought you weren't supposed to be spying on us.' "'I apologize, and I wasn't spying, and I've sent those that were elsewhere.' I just... I think I might be able to help you. And I think you might be able to help us in return. Oh, goody, more bargains, said Amethyst. No, no, not like that. I... The longest branch doesn't know I'm here. No one does. I wanted to help you, but I... If I do, it... It is dangerous for me. I could be banished. If you wouldn't mind, please, could I tell you a story... "'A story?' asked Laura. "'I'm not sure I understand.' She looked in confusion at Cedar. She thought they looked lost, almost frightened. In their dull black eyes she recognized none of the commanding force of the crystal fairies, or even Hemlock's sharp-edged power. "'Yes, it's about Hemlock, and myself, and the flower. "'It's a trick, a trap, or at least Hemlock thinks it is, but it may not be.' "'That makes literally no sense,' said Petra. "'I'm sorry. It's been so long since I've been honest with anyone. "'Something was lost, yes, and if the longest branch can make you think "'that you can solve their puzzle and find the flower, "'you may agree to something that you otherwise wouldn't. "'But Hemlock doesn't actually think it can be found because, well... "'Well, Hemlock thinks it's gone. Dead. But it's not.' Or at least I don't think it is. Or I hope it's not. And maybe you can find it, and and things will be different. Better. Petra, Azrael, and Talora looked at each other in total confusion. Well, friend, said Bob, trundling slowly forward. It seems you had better share your tale with us, then. Yes. Yes. Cedar nodded and sat down in the middle of the group, crossing their legs delicately. Amethyst and Citrine flew down to sit near them, and the dragons lowered their heads so that they were close to the fairies. Cedar looked nervously around at the surrounding forest, and then began. The forest of Mordenson was beautiful once, not so long ago. It was light and strong and full of life. The trees were happy, and so were we, all of us living in harmony together. Humans came here sometimes, so of course they never saw us. Then one day, a child started visiting here. A boy. His name was Florian. He would come and he would sing. And we fairies, we were thrilled to hear the boy sing as we adore music. So true, said Amethyst. But none more than Hemlock, continued Cedar. Hemlock would follow the boy, listening to him and looking out for him until finally Hemlock let the boy see them. And they became friends. Hemlock loved that boy like he was their own child, which is odd, of course, because fairies do not have children, and the concept of love is somewhat weird, supplied Citrine. And gross, added Amethyst. Well, some would say that, Cedar agreed, though others said that what Hemlock and Florian shared was a kind of resonance, a harmony, perhaps what humans might call love, though it was more than emotion, I think. There was a chord struck in both of them, 
and they were fully at peace in each other's company. None of us knew what to make of it. It was as if the child had bewitched our leader, though of course that was impossible because humans are not capable of that kind of power. Fairies, yes, but not humans. Hemlock and Florian would spend hours in the woods. Hemlock taught Florian everything there was to know about where we live and how we care for the trees, and Florian would sing... He sounds like Tom Tom, interrupted Amethyst, our little human friend. It is amazing how the power of human voice can captivate a fairy. Cedar nodded. Well, it certainly captivated Hemlock. For years, the two were inseparable. Florian came to Mordenson every chance he had. The child was different than any we had seen before. It was almost as if he carried some kind of warmth, a glow within him. Sunshine seemed to dance upon his skin even on the most overcast of days. Many of the fairies enjoyed his presence as well. It was hard not to be fond of Florian. And while some of us were indulgent of Hemlock's affection toward the boy, many were not. I... I I was not. There was a long pause. Then Azriel asked gently, Why not? Because I must confess I... I had long wished to be the longest branch of the Arbor Fairies you see, and I admit I allowed my desire for this power to overcome my better judgment. I found fault in all that Hemlock did because I thought I could do better. I could care for the forest better and for the fairies, and you must understand many of us were confused by Hemlock's connection to the child and thought it made them weak. To be so dependent on a human for happiness, well, that was unheard of. If something were to happen... I imagined that it wouldn't be difficult to convince the rest that Hemlock was no longer fit to lead us, or that I should become the longest branch instead. I knew that if I could somehow break the connection between Hemlock and Florian, that Hemlock would fall into a despair so deep that they would never recover. Once this was accomplished, it would be easy to remove them from their position. I'm very ashamed of what I'm about to tell you, but I must... After a pause, Cedar continued. I worked out a plan to break the connection. I knew I had to get Florian far away and that I needed to make Hemlock believe that Florian was dead. Otherwise, they would pursue him to the end of the world. I went to Florian's family one night and told them that I was worried about their son, that Hemlock's fascination with Florian was dangerous. There are many human stories about fairies kidnapping humans and keeping them in their realms. I can't tell you how many times I have almost kidnapped Tom Tom, Amethyst whispered to Citrine, who nodded knowingly. It wasn't difficult to convince Florian's family that their son was in danger of being stolen from them, Cedar continued. I told them that I would arrange to make it look like their son had been killed, and then I would help them escape and move to a new place, far from Hemlock's reach. At the time, a dragon lived nearby, on one of the mountains beyond the borders of our forest. Her name was Eleanor, and she was very old. It was rumored that she'd never been able to hatch an egg, and that she wanted nothing more in the world than to do so, to become a mother. Well, we had recently heard that Eleanor had finally brought an egg near to the hatching point, and that she was consumed with its protection. Creatures were warning each other to stay away until the baby hatched, so as not to risk her wrath. So, I visited Eleanor and told her that the humans in the nearby town where Florian lived, Florian's family in particular, had been plotting to steal her egg. It was easy to persuade her that she should attack them, prove to them that she was not a creature to interfere with. So she did attack the village. 
It was unheard of, at the time. The humans had lived peacefully in the shadow of her mountain for years and never feared her. And truth be told, the attack was somewhat pathetic, really. Eleanor didn't have an aggressive bone in her body, and while I think she managed to kill a few sheep and burn down a shed or two, the only real damage she did was to destroy the farm where Florian lived with his family. I had warned them, of course. I told Eleanor to target their farm, that Florian's parents were the masterminds behind the plot to steal her egg. And then, the day before she was to attack, I helped them escape. Hold it right there, please, Citrine said. There is no way Hemlock would fall for that fake, fake death. What about Florian's life force? Life force? asked Petra. Yes, we all have one, said Amethyst dreamily. Life forces are very powerful for us. Fairies can sense them, especially those of creatures to whom we are close. Like, for example, right now I can tell you that Lyle is definitely alive. Tom Tom, too. And your mother. And... Okay, Amethyst, stop showing off, said Citrine. Anyway, as I was saying, I imagine that Florian's life force would have been extremely easy for Hemlock to track, no matter how burned down his farm got or how far away his family moved. Here, Cedar looked so ashamed that Talora actually began to feel sorry for them. Yes, you are right, they said. Hemlock would have sensed Florian's life force wherever he was, so I... hid it. I covered him. Amethyst and Citrine gasped. You what? Citrine exclaimed. I covered him. I blocked his life force. I made it so that he was untraceable, that no fairy could feel him out, track him down. It was the only way. But covering can injure a life force. We are not supposed to do that. That is like the number one rule of being a fairy. No, Citrine, the number one rule is not to betray your leader, said Amethyst, looking with pursed lips at Cedar, and this one right here definitely doesn't care about rules. Cedar shook their head. I admit, I didn't. I didn't care about anything other than my own power and advancement. It was so hard, you see, to watch Hemlock ignore the rest of us, to care only for a human, and a human child at that. When I... I thought... I could do better. I was power-hungry, yes, but I was also angry. I wanted the Arbor Fairies to be strong, and all I saw from Hemlock was weakness. So, after Eleanor attacked and Florian and his family escaped, I told Hemlock what had happened, and that Florian had been killed. The dragon attack was easy enough to confirm, and because of my covering, Hemlock couldn't feel Florian anymore. I thought that they would sink into grief. Instead... They rose out of it, and they... They embraced vengeance. They became obsessed with making Eleanor pay for what she had supposedly done, and from this obsession was born the first of Hemlock's bargains. They told Eleanor they could guarantee a safe hatching for her baby if she traded them her fire. Eleanor didn't hesitate. Her baby was overdue to hatch at that point, and she was frantic with worry. Well, you know... What happens to a dragon without their fire, of course? Eleanor, old, tired, and frightened, sank into a shadow of herself. Her egg hatched, but Eleanor no longer cared about anything. The dragling was taken and raised by another dragon. Eleanor slowly withered away. Hemlock had their revenge. Oh no, Petra breathed. That is horrible. That is just awful. How could you, and how could Hemlock have done such a thing? That poor mother. 
Petra had tears in her eyes and Talora knew she was thinking of Beatrice. I regret this deeply, though I know it makes no difference now. What happened to Eleanor was my fault, and I take responsibility for it. At any rate, after coercing the fire from the dragon who they supposed had killed Florian, Hemlock became obsessed with taking from others what had been taken from them. Their soul, their life force, their reason for being, especially dragons. They became well known for granting wishes, though of course the price for this granting was rarely worth it. Hemlock has a way of driving a hard bargain with those who come to them, and slowly, over the years, Hemlock's power swelled as their collection grew. Each soul or essence that they took made them more powerful, but also more desperate and cruel. Every creature that they bargained with made them at once stronger and less of themselves. Instead of wasting away, they became too powerful for any of us to touch. There was no way that I would ever be able to take the title of Longest Branch from them. None of us would have dared. And so, my plan backfired in the most painful of ways. I was forced to watch the Arbor Fairies fall into darkness, to watch the Forest of Mordenson become a place of fear and of despair. We are dwindling now. I'm not sure what would bring us back, or if anything could. The trees are weakened, and we weaken with them. Unless. Unless? Talora asked. Unless Florian returns, said Cedar, looking at the ground. Talora clapped her hands together in realization. Of course! The flower that sings! It's Florian! Do you know where he is? Is is he still alive? Cedar nodded. He would be much older now, a man, perhaps with children of his own. But yes, I believe he's alive. I hope. I can tell you where his family fled to all those years ago, but I have no way of knowing if he is still there. Petra stood and began to pace. But if you tell us where he went, that's a good place to start, and we know what we're looking for now. We could do this. Cedar looked hopeful for the first time since beginning their story. I have thought so many times of confessing to Hemlock what I have done, of lifting the covering, of allowing them to find each other, but I knew Hemlock would kill me, or at least banish me, and for a fairy banishment is worse than death. To be a fairy without your folk, without your elements, without your home isn't much of a life at all. But if you were to find Florian, bring him back to Hemlock, perhaps that would restore them to themselves. Perhaps Hemlock would come back to us, as they were, and the Arbor Fairies could once again live peacefully in Mordenson. There was a long silence as everyone sat, deep in thought. Finally, Petra spoke. Why are you telling us this? Why now? Cedar sighed. So many creatures have visited us here in Mordenson over the years. So many. We have seen all manner of requests, all kinds of wishes granted and bargains made, but never have we seen a request like yours. You ask not for something for your own benefit, but for someone else's. Your request is to stop a great deal of violence and pain from occurring. I just thought, if anyone could do it, if anyone could be trusted, it it might be you. A change must be made. I have watched so many creatures lose their souls, and I fear if I watch one more, I shall lose my own. Azrael spoke up. What do they do with them? He asked. What does Hemlock do with the souls that they take from the creatures whose wishes they grant? Cedar shivered and looked up at the dark, towering trees all around them. 
They're in the trees, they whispered. Hemlock keeps them in the trees. Petra gasped. The voices we heard, Azriel, the trees were speaking to us. There are, there are souls inside them. Cedar nodded. It is why this place is so dark. There is so much suffering. Even the sunlight won't visit here anymore. Please, will you help us? Bring Florian back to Hemlock. Release us from this prison. Dolora looked at Azrael and Petra. She could already tell from their faces what they wanted to do. The next morning, though they could barely tell it was morning, the forest remained so dark, Talora and her friends gathered to tell Hemlock what they had decided. Hemlock looked even older and more fearsome than they had the night before, perched alertly on a stump with cedar by their side. "'Well, what have you come to tell me?' Hemlock asked with a hint of merriment in their voice. "'What have you decided?' "'We agree,' Petra said clearly. "'We will look for what you have lost.' If we find it and return it to you, you will give us Shakatala's fire. If we don't, we will give you... We will give you our fire. Talora hated hearing Petra say those words. She couldn't bear to put the dragons at risk like this. Hemlock doesn't think that Florian is alive, she thought. They're tricking us, setting us up because they know we will fail. This has been their plan all along. Anger swelled in her heart, but she reminded herself that Florian was alive, and what's more, they knew where to start looking for him. They knew more than Hemlock knew. Hemlock clapped their hands together. Most excellent. I admit I was not expecting this turn of events, but I am pleased. So very pleased. Azrael spoke suddenly. I want to see it. I want to see our father's fire. For the first time, Hemlock looked surprised. Excuse me. We have a right to see it. We need to know that you have it and that it's safe. Otherwise, we can't agree to this. Hemlock's expression shifted to amusement and they inclined their head. Very well, I suppose. That is only fair. Follow me. Hemlock fluttered through the trees and they all followed. Talora felt a nervousness in her stomach. Where was the fire? What would it look like? Would it be frightening for Petra and Azrael to see it? Hemlock stopped by a tall, blackened tree, whose leaves were still and limp. Here it is, they said, gesturing to the tree. Shakatala's fire dwells within. Show us, Petra hissed. Hemlock glanced at Cedar, who was looking frightened. Then they raised their arms and closed their eyes. As everyone watched, the tree began to shimmer, almost as if it were becoming a mirage, and the bark seemed to thin and dissolve. Though the outline of the tree held firm, the tree itself was now transparent, and glowing within its core was a pillar of reddish-golden light. It wasn't fire, though it was the right color. It was just a glow, but Talora could feel it in her body. It pulsed with energy and life. Petra and Azrael approached the tree, entranced. Petra closed her eyes and leaned her head against Azrael's shoulder. "'Can you hear him?' she whispered. "'Can you feel him?' Azrael, eyes also closed, nodded. "'This is him, Petra. This is our father. This is what he feels like.' Talora, Bob, and the fairies stood rooted to the spot, watching the draggling stand in front of the glowing tree, their strong body silhouetted by its radiance. Mom was right, Azriel. He isn't evil. He isn't even mean. He's strong and kind, and he's trapped here. And we're gonna get him out, 
finished Asriel. As one, the dragons turned to face Hemlock, the tree that held their father's fire blazing behind them. You have a deal, Hemlock. We will find what you've lost, and you will return our father's fire. If we fail, we promise that we will give you ours. Hemlock flew into the air, a fierce triumph in their eyes. Very well, young dragons. Very well. I do look forward to seeing how this all unfolds. Talora, looking at the fierce faces of the dragon she loved so much, aglow with the light from the tree, had to agree. There was nothing they could do now but find Florian, wherever he was. Three dragon souls depended on it. Hello again. If you'd like to know what happens next, please join us for Episode 10, The Fortress. If you have any questions, comments, or artwork you'd like to share, please email PetraTheDragon at gmail.com. Petra handles all of our communication for us, and even though we just discovered that she doesn't understand what the internet is, she's been doing great. If you are enjoying VADPAC, there are a few simple and fun ways to support the show. If you can leave a rating or a review on the device that you're listening from, go for it. We would love that. This is a great way to help others find the show, and it really means a lot to us and to Petra. You can also join us on Patreon or buy a ticket to one of our live Zoom shows where you'll be the first to hear the new episodes, share your drawings or thoughts about the show, and chat with other listeners. For tickets to the live show, please visit dirtroadtheater.com slash fadpack. And now we'd like to share some moments from our live show. Hi, Libby. It's so nice to see you. Did you want to show us what you drew? Yes. I have pentacle drawings. I did. I actually did some during the show. I did one of Shaka Oh, look at that. Wow, look at this armor. And then I have tons more. I did a whale adorn. I did an arbor fairy. I did an arbor fairy sweeping in a flower. Well, thank you for sharing. Those are really beautiful. Does anyone else have anything they want to share or observations? Warren? I just don't think that they're going to keep the deal. Oh, okay. that Hemlock won't keep the deal? Yeah, because you're in the Arbor Fairies domain. Right. So once the person's there, they don't have to keep the deal. Mm, that's a good point. Yeah, Oliver? I just want to say, I liked how when she, she was ma- making the Whaledon picture, her Komodo dragon crawled onto it and she had to pick it up and move it. Yeah. That Komodo dragon was really funny. Bearded dragon? Oh, maybe it was a bearded dragon. It's not a Komodo dragon. Those are huge. Oh. That would be really <laughs> spectacular. Yeah. It would not fit on that paper. No. Yeah. It, would it would not fit on the paper. <laughs> and then it would be in the newspaper like, breaking news! Ten for long Komodo dragon crawled onto artist paper! <laughs> yeah. the, the week that um, Ava was uh she she brought her lizard to the that after show and introduced them to us <laughs> we were thinking that this was one of our our i don't know darkest saddest episodes did that was that hard for anybody no well i thought it, i found it really sad how um how that what was that dragon's name Eleanor. yeah Eleanor. how Eleanor. Well, Eleanor never got 
to be with her baby, but I'm glad that you changed it that her baby didn't die too. Yeah, we did have a draft where it was even sadder. We thought that was just too, too sad. So yeah, that mom killed her. That would have been a drama. No, it's just that the baby didn't. Because she lost your soul, Oliver. I'm done with this. Wow. Whoa! Look at that. Oliver, that looks like that looks like it would that would deserve to be in an art museum. That looks like somebody that a professional artist would make. I call it a soul sucker. Oh, a soul sucker. Oh, is that the device? See all these out the souls? That would be really put funny. them in the trees. There was actually once in Fat Pack, I just I started drawing something and I couldn't stop. And it started and it became this super intricate design. But it wasn't based on crab pack at all, but I just drew it because not all things are based on crab pack. And sure. Not all art has to be based yeah. on crab pack. We, yeah, uh, that would be crazy yeah. if, like, Claude Monet or Pablo Picasso made fat pack based art. Yeah. I would love to see that. Too bad. Yeah. Warren, what did you want to say? You said she only collected dragon souls. But then you started saying she only she collected other souls, which they. got a bit confusing. They, yes. Um, Hemlock collects all souls. Hemlock started with dragon souls, with dragon fire. And Hemlock especially likes to collect dragon fire. But Hemlock will take any soul. I just wanted to know, why exactly Hemlock is so obsessed with taking these souls not just the one dragon. That's a great question. Does anybody have any thoughts about that? What do you think, Libby? Maybe he took the soul from the dragon that he saw attack a village, and he thought that he kind of liked it, so he thought to take other souls because he really liked it. When Florian left, Hemlock felt like their soul left too, that their soul was taken, that their essence was taken. And I think instead of handling that in a productive way, Hemlock started wanting to make other people hurt the way that they were hurting. Hurt people hurt people. Yeah, Mm. that's true. Yeah, Um, people or fairies. Or fairies hurt fairies hurt. Or dragons. (laughs) Or ponies. Or fairies. Yeah. Or bobs. Or bobs. (laughs) Graceland, did you want to share your art before we say goodbye today? Ooh, look at that. That's yeah. so good. Ooh, an arbor fairy. Yeah, that does and look like an arbor fairy. The, the, the outline, the outline of everything was made with pencils and then I and then I shaded in with crayons. Well, actually, I just wanted to say it. I feel like I was thinking something or someone should die because I think a good story. Adventure story and all adventure stories eventually have someone die. Yeah. That's part of the code. Yeah. Well, I don't know if Fad Pack is going to follow any kind of uh, code necessarily. Um, But I, you know, it's all, it is often part, it's part of life, right? That people and and creatures die. And it's certainly part of many stories. So it's something we will think about for sure. We're actually going to meet another kind of fairy, for episode 10. I'm very excited about that. <gasps> Another type of fairy! I'm so excited! <laughs> Fairies and Dragons, Ponies, and Knights is a proud member of Kids Listen, a grassroots organization of advocates for high-quality audio content for kids. You can find more great podcasts at kidslisten.org or download the app.
Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights is made and recorded by Dirt Road Theatre in Northfield, Vermont. Fadpack is written and performed by me, Marin Langdon Spillane, and written and created by Dominic, Graceland, and Oliver Spillane. The music you heard was composed by the amazing Nathan Lee. You can see more of his work at NathanLee.net. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you can join us next time.